I'm a science space geek, so this story won't surprise you. Uh, sometimes I feel like my, my love of science doesn't, um, isn't always, people are like, oh, another science story. But too bad, I'm the preacher, so I get to tell the stories. So in 1977, um, the people of the Earth decided to give the universe a gift, a literal gift to anyone out there who was listening. So this gift was dreamed out by NASA, and it was an LP-like golden record, okay? And they spent a year curating all of this stuff to put on the record. Carl Sagan was the curator for this. And it was some images, but mostly it was sounds. Uh, they put natural sounds on there, like the crack of thunder or the crooning of the blue whale in the ocean. They put greetings from 59 languages, from Arabic to Mandarin to Urdu to uh, 56 other ones. Uh, they put musical selections from different eras and cultures, like Bach's Brandenburg Concerto Number no. 2 with the awesome harpsichord, and Louis Armstrong's Melancholy Blues. So it took a year to curate the playlist, and then in June of 1977, the golden record was flung into the stars on the Voyager spacecraft. It was like an early Christmas present in June that was launched beyond our solar system in the hope that someone or something would eventually find it and figure out how to listen to it. This message in a bottle in a cosmic dark matter ocean. And it was such a big deal that um, the Secretary General of the UN and Jimmy Carter, whom I happen to adore, uh, wrote uh, a note, uh, an opening message that went on this golden record. And I'm going to give you an excerpt of it. This is the first thing that aliens would have heard or are hearing now or will hear in the future. <laughs> <laughs> we cast this message into the cosmos. Of the 200 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy, some, perhaps many, may have inhabited planets and spacefaring civilizations. If one such civilization intercepts Voyager and can understand these recorded contents, here is our message. This is a present from a small, distant world, a token of our sounds, our science, our images, our music, our thoughts, our feelings. We are attempting to survive our time so we may live into yours. We hope someday, having solved the problems we face, to join a community of galactic civilizations. This record represents our hope and our determination and our goodwill in a vast and awesome universe. When I read that, and even as I read it now, I get goosebumps because I am that kid who is still scanning the horizon for alien spacecraft. I am. I am. So a question for you. If we were to make another golden record today to launch into the multiverses we now know, not just the universe, but into the multiverse, what songs would you want to put on that golden record. So first question, really, two questions actually, but first question is, what actual songs would you want to put on that, on there to represent our time? Would it be Adele's Hello? Yes. 
Would it be public enemies fight the power? Would it be space oddity? Some, all right. That's very themey. I get it. <laughs> little little samey, samey, matchy, matchy. That's all right. That's the song you'd put on there. That's okay. I see you. What else? Anything from Madonna? I don't know. What else? What else? What? Okay. Paul Simon? Billy Joel? L.F. Fitzgerald? Miles Davis. All right. Oh, Lord. And there is a collective groan, but we love you. We see you. All right. Second question. Maybe not an actual song, like off the radio song, but what, what song of your own experience? If you had one song, one testimony of your experience that could be sung into eternity, if you had one chance to offer a testimony of this it is what it means to be human in my skin, what would the testimony be? Mary is singing a song today of her testimony. That's what we heard. Mary, I say Mary, and you could think of maybe a dozen Marys that you read about in the scripture. So when I say there, which is very confusing, there's all these different Marys in the scripture, all these different Marys in the church. Um, so this is Mary, the mother of Jesus, or if I'm, if I'm being particular, because we're not yet to this part of the story, but this is Mary, the woman who will become Jesus' mother. So right before this scripture that Sanjay read, right before it, Mary, I like to say, has uh, the angel of Gabriel fly through her kitchen window one morning while she's working the New York Times crossword and drinking her coffee. And God has a, an invitation for Mary, an ask for Mary. God asks Mary, basically, will you bear my substance into the world? Mary, uh, God asks Mary, will you birth my presence into humanity? Will you bear me into you and into Jesus who will be perhaps, if you say yes, part of you for a while. And so Mary hears that question. Can I just say, that's a big ask. <laughs> um, it is actually the ask that we make of anyone who stands up here to be baptized or to join the church. Will you bear God's presence into this world? And people are like, ah. Oh. That's how Mary is. She asks some questions. But after a while of dialogue with Gabriel, the angel who flew through her kitchen window, she says, she gives her consent. She says, yes, let it be. Obviously, that's a song in itself, right? Um, 1970 years later, the, the Beatles made a lot of money on that song. Let it be. Right? Um, let it be. That was the first part of the song that Mary sang just before the scripture was read today. But then Mary goes on a trip and she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth in the hill country. 
And as she's walking there and as she gets there, the craziness of what she has signed up for begins to sink in a little bit. I said yes to bearing God into the world. <laughs> and as I just imagine her walking to Elizabeth's. I imagine her seeing Elizabeth sort of sitting down having more tea and just thinking, oh my God. You know? And so this literally, right? And so this song, this deeper, fuller, richer song that has been bubbling in her, she, 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 at Elizabeth's house, she, she belts it out. And this is the song, I think, that Mary puts on the golden record, sending it into the future. The lyrics of that song are what we heard in today's scripture. We have come to call Mary's song in the kind of Christian vernacular and the churchy language, we have come to call it the Magnificat, which is a, a beautiful name for this song. Magnificat as in Magnificat anima mea dominum, which is in Latin, the first uh, line of Mary's song, my soul magnifies the Lord. It's weird that's in Latin because the Bible actually wasn't written down in Latin. It was written in Hebrew and Greek and actually translated into Latin. So, but that's just a little aside. Mary, Mary didn't speak Latin, nor did Jesus. It's quite possible they didn't speak Greek. They spoke other languages. They spoke Hebrew. So it's very confusing. But anyway, in the church, we have received this song as the Magnificat Anima Mea, Dominum, My Soul Magnifies the Lord, which I think is one of the most beautiful lines, actually, in all of Scripture. Just let that, let that just be with you for a second. My soul magnifies the Lord. And I just want to give you a second to think about it, actually more than think about it, just to get into contact with what does it feel like in your being for your soul to magnify the Lord. It may be helpful to think of a time when you felt that feeling. I don't want to put that on you. For me, what came to mind when I was thinking about it was like riding my bike down the hill when I was 10 with the streamers flying from the handlebars and the wind in my face and the sense that I was good and happy. That, for me, is the sense of my soul magnifies the Lord. Maybe it's the time you first told the truth about yourself or heard your mom say, I love you after 50 or 60 years or never, but someone else did. I don't know. My soul magnifies the Lord is what Mary is singing about. She is singing about what it feels like to have God take up residence in your being. She is singing about that, and that experience is apparently so powerful that she decides to belt it out and send it in the universe so that 2,000 years later and hopefully 10,000 years later we can pick it up and hear the truth of what has survived her time and is surviving into our time. The song that lives on into eternity. So let's do a little uh, musical crit on this song. All right, let's do a little, let's dive into the lyrics. I don't know if y'all are lyrics people. Some people are not. Some people are music people. They just remember the, the tune. But some people know. The, my sister knows every lyric of every song. The radio comes on, she's like, da 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 She knows it all. Let's dive into the lyrics. What is Mary singing about? 
in this beautiful song. So we heard the first line, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary is singing about um, the, what a sh- the shatteringly joyous thing it is to be seen. To be seen and to be known and to be, uh, to be loved by God. She sings, my soul, you heard, you heard me, my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices with God, my Savior. And we say, Mary, why are you singing that? Why in the, how in the world can you be singing that, Mary? You are a poor, unwed, teenage mother, probably a person of color, in a patriarchal world, that doesn't want to hear your voice. How are you singing, my soul magnifies the Lord, Mary? And Mary says, well, did you know that God has looked with favor on me? God has seen me. That's what you talked about in your testimony. God has seen you. God has known me. And in the midst of seeing and knowing you, God has loved you. That's what Mary is singing about. It's not just Mary, right? It's all of us. It's all of us. In your loneliness, in your grief, God sees you and loves you. In the heart of the protest at City Hall, on your knees in prayer, at the edge of the party like a wallflower, in the corner of your apartment drinking by yourself in the middle of the day, desiring to do the next right thing, but not knowing what in the hell the next right thing is half the time, God sees us and loves us. That's what Mary is singing about. Now, theologically, we call that justification and assurance. That's part of the salvation process. But so much of the time in the church, or at least some parts of the church, we talk about ideas, and I love ideas. But Mary is talking about so much more than a doctrine or an idea or theological um, idea. She's talking about an experience, right? She's talking about when she knew that she had been seen and loved and known. And that is much more than a theological idea. That is a new existential reality. You know that old song, I've quoted it before, but it's one of my favorite ones. That song, This Is My Story, This Is My Song, that's what you sing when you know you have been seen by God in love. This is my story. This is my song. And when you start to sing that song, y'all, baby, watch out. Watch out. You can go into the protest. You can go into the difficult conversation that's an intervention. You can go into the semester that you think you're never going to get out of. You can go into it, and you may come out beaten up. You may come out having failed, but you know that no matter what happens, this is my story. This is my song. That's verse one, y'all. That's verse one. That's just the... Um, Though, that experience is just the big bang. And then what comes is that rippling out. So your true self kind of explodes into beauty, into magnification, into expansion. 
And then comes verse 2. All right? I don't know if you heard verse 2, but Mary is warmed up now. She's, uh, she's singing loud now, and uh, she starts to sing her second verse. And I don't know if I mentioned it to you. I don't know if you heard when you heard the lyrics on the liner notes. But uh, this Magnificat is not a cute, nice little, little sweet song, right? Because contrary to what you might have been taught about Mary, Mary is not some cute, nice little, sweet little lady, all right? Mary, y'all, has God's breath in her lungs, Mary has God's blood in her veins. Mary has Christ in her, and in some mysterious sense, let's just go there mystically, she is in Christ, as Christ is in her. It's beautiful. And with all that in her, she is fierce. And she is strong. And she is not meek and mild, and she is not what every southern woman should be. She's a mama, and she's a prophet, and she's a revolutionary, and she is not to be messed with, y'all, especially in verse 2, right? You heard her song, It's More Hip Hop Than It Is Lullaby. It is a prophecy, her song is a prophecy of what will happen to the world when God's new creation that is inaugurated or started by Jesus Christ, when that filters through the world and dismantles or breaks apart or wrecks all of the empires in our world, and they are legion, all of the empires that run on social disparity, that run on violence, that run on whiteness, they are, all the empires are being brought down by Jesus at this point on the lips of Mary. Someone said Mary and Elizabeth singing this song are the first church. I love that. What's that song it's Mary singing about? Strength. This is not meek and mild. This is strength that scatters the proud and brings down the thrones and brings up the 99%. This is about love that fills the bellies of the hungry and empties the egos of the self-justified. This is about power that comforts those who have been crying all night long and gnaws at the consciences of those who run the systems that keep people crying all night long. That's why so many civil rights movements in this country have been fueled by music and song, y'all. You know this? The beginning of the black civil rights movement in the 50s and 60s, they sang all the time. They sang when they were in church. They sang when they prayed. They sang when they marched. They sang while they protested. They sang while they committed civil disobedience. See, for them, there's no distinction between prayer and protest. It all comes together. This is God's story. This is God's song. This is our story. This is our song. There's no false dualism here. This is God's story. This is my story. And the racist government put them in shackles and handcuffs and set them down inside police vans and in prison cells. And what did they do? They began to beat the shackles together like a drum. They began to make a rhythm so they could sing. And they sang, because I don't know if you have heard what the world didn't give, the world can't take away. This is God's story. This is God's song. This is my story. This is my song. This is our story. This is our song. And so they sang. Mary sang. And her song is not a nice, sweet song. It is 
a glorious song, though. And we are being invited to sing. I just want to say, it takes time to learn how to sing. It takes time. You know, I like to think Mary had that experience, and she just wasn't, ah, you know, she, it took some time. She had some days to walk to the hill country. Uh, and usually it takes longer than a few days for those of us who aren't Mary. I mean, if you had Jesus in your belly, it might take you only three days, right? Uh, but uh, it's a little more diffuse for us, right? So it just takes some time. And, and, and you know, like, it's not that you don't feel the fire to sing, but when you start to sing, sometimes, I don't know, you feel a little catch in your throat sometimes. You feel a catch in your heart or in your chest because when you start to sing all the stuff you've been taught about yourself or about what it means to be a human or what it means to be a Christian, all that stuff from your family systems, from, from the government, from everybody, from the church, it starts to bubble up and you find yourself, it's hard to sing. It's hard. It takes some time. So let's be... Let's be gentle with ourselves. We've got to try to sing, but stuff comes up, and you have to start to deal with all that stuff, all those tapes in you individually, and all that stuff um, in the world. You've got to deal with that. So it takes some time to learn to sing, but we try to sing. Um, I'm going to play a clip in a second. There's a new show out this year, started in 2015. I'm just curious, how many of you have heard of it or seen it? It's called Empire. All right, a few of you, more of you in the second service than the first. Um, it, shoots in, uh, it shoots in the yeah, west side. It's set in New York, but it shoots here. We love that. Um, <laughs> stick it to you, Manhattan. Uh, <laughs> second city's rule. Um, just, just a little thing about Empire. Empire is one of the only, I think the only right now in Hollywood, show written by entirely black writers. And so uh, uh, Lee Daniels was like, why is it that black characters on TV are be, all being written by white people? You know, uh, so, so, you know, so they're like, we're going to get together some black writers and write the show. And so it's a black, it's a sh black writers writing about black lives, right? They don't write for every black life. Like, white writers don't write about every white life, right? Black people aren't monolithic, but so I just want to say that. Um, Y'all know that. So this show uh, is called uh, Empire, and it's a family story. It's a little bit about the backstory. Uh, it's about uh, this family called, uh, in, the, the, the father is Lucius Lyon, who is uh, the founder of a hip-hop record company called Empire Records. And then there's his wife, Cookie, who has been serving 20 years in jail for a drug deal gone wrong. But the drug deal gone wrong got $400,000 of seed money, which Lucius has used to start Empire Records. All right, then there are three sons, Andrew, Jamal, and Hakeem. So when the story goes, Lucius has this disease that's going to incapacitate him, and so he's making plans in the show to pass on his music empire to one of his sons. And so he announces this, and so the sons start, sons start to sort of, you know, have some friction and tension with each other, which he's sort of orchestrating hitting them against each other. And then Cookie gets released from prison early. And she shows up on the scene. And when she shows up on the scene, I don't know if you've seen the show, it just gets real. She starts to, starts to reconnect with all the sons. And she says, I'm going to go public about where the seed money came from unless you cut me in on the deal. All right? So one of the other subplots is that Lucius favors his son, Hakeem, and is disgusted by his son, Jamal, because Jamal, precisely because Jamal is same-gender loving. Jamal is gay. And so um, Cookie, on the other hand, has this deep love of Jamal, 
she sees in him sort of like Mary, uh, like God saw in Mary. She sees in him all this beauty, all this giftedness, all this potential to be an artistic and musical force. And so she's for him, and she makes this promise that she's going to stay quiet about the shady, sketchy beginnings of empire if she can manage Jamal's um, artistic career full time. All right? Because Jamal doesn't see it in himself yet, what a gift he is, and so she's encouraging him to sing. Okay? So in this clip, here's the setup. Cookie has, an, has arranged a PR event for Jamal to come out of the closet publicly on the street and launch this next phase of his uh, career. Uh, at the same time, uh, Lucius is being interviewed on TV about gun violence and rap lyrics, and that, those two scenes cut back and forth uh, to Jamal's apartment. And so we're going to play this scene. Empire Enterprises has been accused of perpetuating violence. Do you think that the misogyny and celebration of gang warfare that's so prevalent in hip-hop music is healthy for our nation? Well, anything that expresses the First Amendment is healthy for our country. If artists are supposed to thrive, they need to have the freedom of speech. Right, I yeah, you have mentioned that many times before. Let's go. Let's get out of here. He Ms. Lyon, coming. do you have any comments on the Kid Fofo controversy? I got plenty of comments. Apparently, one of your associates would like to make a comment on that issue. Kid Fofo's Tide Rhymes ain't nothing compared to what Lucius Lyon used to spit back in the day. The same man who used to sing, the cops deny freedom for life, I ain't afraid to kill one to defend my wife. Your own lyrics are even more inciting than the ones that you're defending. Do you disagree? My music expresses my world. That's how I grew up. Where you either sold drugs or you watch your children go hungry. Where half of your family is locked off in prison. Our music is more of a narration of an oppressed people. You see, the Empire artists are telling the next generation that even though they live in a world where Trayvon Martin can get shot down like a dog without... The closest people to you can try. How does it give them hope if all the songs do is promote more violence? Well, there's hope in the fact that these kids are expressing their anger with music and poetry and not with a 12-gauge shotgun. Do you feel that you can still speak to these kids, even though you're now living in penthouses and yachts? I try to talk to my sons. I don't think they're listening to me. Maybe it's me that's not listening to them. My favorite line is when Cookie's like, I got some comments. <laughs> I was like, that's right. I don't know if you noticed, but Jamal didn't show up for the PR event. He wasn't able, he couldn't find the courage to come out. Uh, one of the reasons for that is because his dad had said to him, if you come out, he got wind of the PR event, and said, if you come out, uh, I'm going to cut you off financially. So he's there, and I just think it's an interesting, ironic kind of juxtaposition right here. He is singing this song about telling the truth. We all have closets. Longing to be able to sing his song 
in, in the world, and here he is in his, in his apartment, right? He can't yet um, do that. And uh, Cookie's trying to get him to do that, and um, he feels uh, unable to at that point. It's hard, right? It's hard. We've got to learn to sing. It's hard. Spoiler alert, he figures out how to belt it out eventually, all right? It takes time to learn how to sing. Um, as I get ready to move to England, you know, I am praying and thinking a lot about my next steps and what song I'll be singing uh, in England. Um, I also want to invite you all to think about, as a congregation, whoever your next pastor is, to think about what song you are called to sing in this next five years of your life together and to really pray about that. And maybe, um, maybe it's a whole new song than we've been singing, or maybe it's learning to sing the song that we have been singing to learn to sing it in a better way, or to sing a verse 2 to the song we've been singing, verse 1. Um, I'm probably pro that last thing. What song do we already sing well that we can sing verse 2 to? Um, you know, we know the song that we sing well. One of the songs we sing really well and beautifully and naturally and with the power and fierceness of Mary is about being a community of full radical inclusion for people of every gender identity and sexual orientation. We sing that song well. We love singing that song, amen? It's a good song to sing. And it's a song that comes from the heart of God and the, the spirit of God in this place. Um, I love that. I was talking to someone this week and they said they had heard there's a mega church in Chicago that is not fully inclusive of LGBTQ people. And when LG, LGBTQ, when gay and lesbian, when queer, when queer folks show up to this mega church in the city, they say, oh, we can't help you here, but you should go to Urban Village. Now, I love that we are known as the place that churches will be, will, what I want to say to that church is, how about you receive those queer folks as a gift to your church and start singing a different song? Downtown church, big mega church in the city. Come on, right? Right? Sing a song. I mean, I love gay people. I'm a gay person. I love gay people. Come on, we'll take as many gay people as we want. That's great. I love straight people too. Those of you, those of you who are straight, you are seen and known and loved by God too. I just got to say that. I know it's been difficult. Sometimes you feel... Is, can I be gay? Can I be straight and Christian at the same time? I know sometimes you really, you really are, stay up at night with that. I want to tell you, you can be. God sees you and God loves you as a straight person. All right? So we are happy to have gay people here. So right, I want to say to that church, come on, receive his gifts. But then I think there are other churches in this city who are looking at us and saying, y'all are 80% white. You talk about being multi-ethnic and anti-racist. Yeah, we're happy to see the people of color who can't find a home, or the white people who don't want to do anti-racist work. But, you know, what would it look like for y'all to sing verse 2 in a deeper way? And that's not a shaming thing. I think we have begun to sing that verse 2 around being a multi-ethnic and anti-racist church. I think we have, but the work is still so much more, right? And so if we can just trust that um, God has taken up residence in each one of us, 
black and Asian and Latino, Latina and Pacific Islander and white. All of us. If God has taken up residence us, then if we trust God, we, we can sing a new song. We can. So I invite you to pray about that and think about that in your next season. So I want to practice it as we close the sermon and come to the table. I want, to, I want us to practice singing that song together. So here's the song I'm going to teach you. Maybe I sing the song all the time with people that I teach songs to, so maybe you've heard me sing it. But I'll sing it once, and then we'll join them together. God, my God, God is good. God, my God, God is good. You know that he brought me out of darkness. God is good. Try that. God, my God. God is good. God, God, my God, God is good. You know that he brought me out of darkness. God is good. All right, that feeling you get when you sing, you know that he brought me out. That's Mary, all right? That's Mary singing the song. So just try that. You know that he brought me out of darkness. God is Stand up. Stand up. You know that he brought me out of darkness. God is good. Oh, we're going to sing it. Here, let's, get, let's get our beat going. So it's um, boom, 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 boom. Here we go. Ready? Sing out. God, my God, God is good. God, my God, God is good. Come on now. You know that he brought me out of darkness. God is good. Next slide, next slide. Made a way. God is good. Made a way. God is good. You know that she brought me out of darkness. God is good. Do that verse again. Add your harmonies. Made a way. God is good, made away, God is good, you know that she brought me out of darkness, God. one more time for the Lord, <laughs> made away, God is good, made away, God is good, you know that she brought me out of darkness. God is good. God is good. God is good. God is good. Amen.